I like NASCAR. I think like um, there was this test a while back that we all did over who was the most working class American, and it turned out that <laughs> out, out of everybody, it was me. I was more working class American than Jen, Joe, uh, Bubbles, and Capital Chick. <laughs> so, where yeah. was this? Um, it was just an online test over whether or not you're in some kind of liberal bubble. Um, and it turns out I'm not. Uh, yeah. I think it was trying to say I'd be a Trump voter, but I don't think I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I figured, Danny, a Trump voter. <laughs> Welcome to May We Geek Again, episode 24. Man, we are um, in the middle of the season now, guys. Um, let's see, you can find May We Geek Again on Twitter and Facebook at May We Geek Again. Um, and you can find our personal projects, uh, mine at DeclareShenanigans.com, where I write reviews of the 100. And um, Shaheen? My blog is freefloatingperspective.wordpress.com. I got through that. Good, you got, no it, you got it correct this time. And we have a special guest um, with us today. We have Danny Fluff all the way from Woo. the UK. Woo! Hello! Um, uh, you uh, probably are a little bit familiar with Danny from last our last week's podcast, um, where she um, graciously filled in, along with Bubbles, um, in my absence, because I was recovering from surgery. And um, Danny's here because Joe is is off in Mexico um, smuggling drugs back in her butt. So enjoy (laughs) that, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys, we're talking about uh, the seventh episode of season four today, and that is titled Gimme Shelter, which was written by a duo of Terry Hughes Burton and Ron Milbauer. Um, So, guys, what did you think of the episode in general? Danny, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, I loved it. Uh, I think it was the best episode of the season so far. Um, I think what I liked most about it was that the plot was really simple. I mean, plot-wise, just two things happened. We had some rain and a break-in, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Way to break that down, <laughs> Just some rain and a break-in, no big. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it was dramatic rain and a dramatic break-in. But, you know, as opposed to war and, like, Arcadia burning and all the rest of it, it was quite simple. And, yeah, it was really nice just to see the characters reacting to that and trying to figure that out. And, yeah, it, it felt reminiscent of the best episodes of season one in a good way. So it was really reminiscent of um, episodes like I Am Become Death and Day Trip. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it. What about you, Shaheen? So to sort of piggyback on what Danny said, uh, I would say that um, there are some differences that I would point out between this episode and an episode from season one, for example, which I agree I I enjoyed too. Um, First of all, there was more uh, world building and more exploration and we I mean, you could argue we didn't know much about this world or we knew less and that's why it was more exciting. But um, I think that's the job of the storyteller to keep introducing new elements and new complications 
that we didn't know about before um, to, um, you know, give you this sense of uh, exploration in this real world that exists independently of you. And, you know, if you remember when uh, in season one, when they went on a mission or they were, someone was stuck out in acid fog and they wanted to save them or whatever, um, they always came across something new, um, new locations, n you know, new mysteries, whatever, new answers to their questions. Um, they met new types of beings, you know, they met mutated beings and they met the grounders they, they met the reapers and they met the mountain men you know um stuff like that um which is not happening anymore i feel like and um there wasn't much of that in this season like bellamy didn't i mean we've never even seen the factory i mean i guess we saw the factory station crash um in season two but um we didn't really get a good glimpse of it and we didn't spend much time there this could have been a um an excuse to show us that area more or you know anything uh so that's one aspect of it i feel like uh there was a greater sense of mystery and exploration when world building in season one and two and three than there is in this season um and the other thing is uh just the sort of dilemmas and character moments um, that are um, difficult or jarring or whatever I feel like are missing from this season. So those are the two reasons I was thinking over the last week um, because I said I think so far I like season three better um, and that still remains true. And I think those are my reasons. Um, that being said, I don't think the episodes are terrible or anything. This episode was interesting especially on second watch um i feel like i got more out of it but um yeah those are my qualms world building and the sort of moral philosophical or deep issues that uh characters have to face um i feel like are missing from this season okay and i i like this episode a lot i feel like we've reached the point in the season where we're starting to pivot away from what i would call the the literal and proverbial uh, wheels spinning in the mud that we had <laughs> with with kind of these false finishes of of the possible solutions that we've we've had uh, presented to us both in Arcadia and then going into space to produce Nightblood. So I feel like we've moved away from these false promises towards what might be a, an end game solution in regards to using Luna's bone marrow to help everyone survive the, the coming radiation. So I think that this is a very effective episode in moving us away from uh, what feels like a little bit of, of marked time in the first part of the season. And then probably we're going to be barreling downhill fast and furious for the rest of the season towards, towards whatever the climax and cliffhanger possibly of the season is going to be. So I think it's, it was very effective. I think visually it was, is a, was a pretty um, jarring episode because you go from gritty and dirty people in Arcadia and, and the sex cave to this beautiful mansion that has apparently been maintained impeccably for the last 100 years <laughs> by who knows what. <laughs> 
And it was just just the stark difference between the two and seeing the seeing our, our gritty, grimy characters in this beautiful, clean place was very visually effective. And I really enjoyed that part. So let's get into the bits of the episode. So guys, Shane and Danny, I'm gonna skip around in the run sheet because I don't I, I don't feel like ending on the sex cave is is the most um is the most uh, is the greatest climax to this this <laughs> podcast because this we ha- it seems like we have the least to say about the sex cave climax <laughs> word choice. Um, <laughs> no, we can't we can't climax with a climax. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we can't climax with this with this um, this what I found to be stupidly tropey uh, make me feel anything else but bad sex so uh, <laughs> let's talk about the the cave and the interaction between octavia and Ilian. um i just mentioned that i'm i'm over the the trope of make me uh, of the make me feel something different sex that's been done a couple times in this series and i think it's done generally a lot in media uh i don't know what you guys think about it i'm just i'm just kind of over it i don't i don't have anything against um, Octavia and Ilian having sex, but I, I just find this setup to be one of the, the shortcut to getting them there. So, what'd you guys think about this whole storyline? Yeah, I am. Um, I um, I sort of yeah, I do agree with that because you're right. The make me feel something different is overused, and I did eye roll at that line. <laughs> I was like, mm. <laughs> you could see it was going there, couldn't you? As soon as she started walking out in the rain, you could just see it was going to be this make me feel something different line but well um, danny they already they already had us halfway there when they stripped out out of their clothes to to dry off from the rain so it it was telegraphed like from the very beginning of the episode yeah but at the same time um i'm a bit biased because i just i really like ilian i as a character i think he's been introduced very well um i think chai's acting was brilliant in this scene um because it it could have been really creepy (laughs) it could have been a horrible scene where he took advantage of her and that never came across to me like that came across like he had empathy and was a little bit unsure what to do with her but also he's a guy and he obviously finds her attractive so I I felt that it was probably quite a difficult scene to pull off they obviously wanted to have it in there as um I'm not quite sure why I mean I guess I wish more people were having sex in general but um yeah, I liked it. <laughs> and I, I especially like um, afterwards that she took him home. Um, I think it was a really nice turning point for her. I like, like the visual metaphor of her throwing away the knives in the same way, obviously we'll talk about this later, in the same way that Bele- Bellamy got stuck in the rover and the lights went off. There's a lot of nice little metaphors um, this episode for um, what was happening in their headspaces. And yeah, um just tropey sex <laughs> sex reasons aside, um, yeah. as far as as far as it goes, I, I I wasn't overly bothered. I can kind of wave that away just because I, I like the characters, and you can yeah, I'm not not opposed to the development. <laughs> so so let me ask you guys what you read into the the throwing away of the knives. Did that mean that she's abandoning the Sky Ripper persona that she's she had taken on the first part of the season? Um, yeah, or at least. <laughs> perhaps trying to i mean the these um people they're never going to be able to stop fighting they're always going to need to um utilize their skills but i think 
the way that she was sharpening the knife um, earlier on in the scene, there was this real sense that she was using it as a shield and she was beginning to realise that it was a, a real, like a shield for her and throwing those away was not necessarily saying I'm I'm done fighting, but more I'm done murdering <laughs> rather than fighting. <laughs> to draw that distinction, so Yeah. <laughs> So Shaheen, what is your take on this whole this whole scene? Um, I wanted to ask you a question before I say anything about what I think. So the the sex scene, right? I guess this is a question for both of you guys. So if if we had a scene where you know Octavia tries to walk into the rain and Ilian saves her, and then maybe there's a cut or something and um, they've already kind of bonded and then maybe, you know, um, things start to heat up or something and then they have sex. Would that have been better, the same, worse? What do you think? Is uh, it the abruptness of just Octavia just being like, I want to kill myself. I want to have sex. Is I that- think it's just, I think I, I agree with Jen that the, make me feel something different line that that has been it's so overdone as a trope i mean it could have even if they didn't have that line in there maybe it would have been better well i mean um, clark yeah. and Ni- nyla are having sympathy sex all the time we yeah but there's that, not but... a yeah but this different because it's been framed differently it's not been framed like clark is using nyla to forget things um whereas Clearly, Octavia explicitly mm, said, yeah, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Um, so, I mean, I, it never came across to me that Clark was using Nyla to forget things. She was l- looking at Lex's picture in the scene. So I think they kind of tried to really clearly show that this wasn't about forgetting Lexa. It's just a comfort thing. And it seemed different for Octavia. At least it, it was framed differently for me. Um, not that I have an issue with it, um, you know, I don't judge any of them for it. Um, but Octavia, it was clearly more like what Raven was doing in season one when she wanted to um, forget Finn for a while. It was more that kind of um, angsty sex rather than just comfort sex. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think the, I think the first instance with Nyla back in season three, that was definitely a Clark instant of make me feel something different or feel anything because Clark had been emotionally shut down. At least that's what it read like to me because yeah. uh, of her, just kind of her blank a- affect. The second, the second time we see them together, I, I agree with Danny. I think it was, I don't think it was a, a parallel to this instance with Octavia. I think it was just two people connecting, maybe comforting one another, um, just doing their thing, not a make me feel something different. Because I think Clark is already in her grieving process, and I don't think that she's using Nyla as a um, as a way to forget about Lexa, even temporarily. I think it's just a- another person that she has a connection with that she, you know, s- chooses to spend time with. Okay, so you don't think it has anything to do with presentation, it's just the idea of Octavia doing this in the first place. 
no, it 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 is presented differently. If if Octavia had pro, if the scene was approached the way you suggested, Shaheen, where they had bonded a little and then proceed to have sex, I think it would have made less sense for me because I don't, I wouldn't understand Octavia's, um, I wouldn't have understand her drivers at that point. Uh, why would she be having sex with Rando uh, so soon after Lincoln's death when she obviously hasn't gotten past his death? And the anger. Well, uh, what I'm trying to say is well, that's the same thing that Clark did with Nyla, but because of the way it was presented, is there a? I guess the what, question is: is, is there a fundamental difference between what they did, or is it just um, the which presentation? scene with Nyla? The the one um, last week, or the one from season three? Well, let's say the one from season three. Even, although I, I still. I'm not sure I understand the difference. I mean, comfort is comfort. When people say, <laughs> I want to forget, they don't really literally forget. They just mean, I want to take my mind off of this. And I want to feel that support and confirmation or whatever. Um, and so I, there could be different <laughs> degrees of it. And that's kind of my question. The different degrees of it, is it just a matter of presentation? Or is it a matter of, uh, is there a real difference there? I think the motivations are different. So, yes, there is a difference to me. What, okay. What are the motivations? Well, I think we're splitting hairs at this point. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I, think, I mean, I think Clark's, to, Clark's kind of getting over Lexa, you know, in a, in a way that she still remembers her and she still cares, but she's not broken about it anymore yeah and i think the pain yeah. is, is gone she's for the most she's, part yeah she's with nyla not as a way of escaping that pain she's been dealing with that pain so she's with nyla because she's kind of healing um as opposed to octavia clearly isn't remotely on the path to healing yet so yeah that's whereas but i do think the scene with uh clark and nyla in early season three was more similar to this i guess uh not that I have an issue with any of them, because I, I don't. I like that women aren't judged at all for sex on this show. And, you know, it was, you know, it was, it's only the tropiness that I would have an issue with in yeah, the sense exactly. that it's been done before and it's a little bit same old, same old. They could have, you know, there could have been perhaps more interesting ways to get them together rather than kind of a cookie cutter um, scene. But um, I don't actually have an issue with the fact that it happened because um, people can have sex for whatever reason that they want to so yeah yeah i guess um now getting to what my issue with it would be i think that i agree i mean it's cliche but i mean it's hard for me sometimes to differentiate what's cliche and what's not anymore um but <laughs> it's i guess the problem i have with it is i don't see why this is this should be octavia's turning point um, like I'm on board with Octavia trying to get over what was bothering her, you know, whether, um, Lincoln's death specifically, or just the whole Sky Ripper mode that she was in, but there has to be some kind of landmark in the story that justifies that, right? Just because she was going to execute Ilian and then for some reason, like Kane gave her some speech and she didn't. Um, 
that shouldn't be the point where suddenly everything changes. So I kind of needed something maybe more. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess we're already in episode seven. They want to move it along. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually don't think that the sex was per se um, the turning point. I think that it's the fact that, you know, and what's great is we got Ilian's backstory. We watched him murdered, murder his family, <laughs> um, which is horrific. And so Octavia is on this, not woe is me, that's a horrible thing to say, but... Um, you know, she she's on this journey where she wants to be the worst person and she wants to forget. Um, and here comes this guy who has done horrible things um, and who is saying, but that's not who you are. Um, you know, you're still you underneath all that. And, and I thought that was m much more important than the sex no stuff. i mean i didn't mean the yeah, sex i just meant this whole episode yeah. this whole cave sequence i don't see why mm -hmm. that should be like yeah someone just a few words from from a stranger you know um shouldn't be the reason the character turns around yeah well, well I, I, mean, I didn't i didn't read it that way at all i mean it's been it's been a progression for octavia ever since the beginning of season four where she's she's hit some pretty low lows but she has had her moments of humanity. And I think one of the main drivers behind what may be her turnaround is realizing that she couldn't kill Ilian just because she yeah. wanted to kill or hurt something. Well, that was, that was I don't, questionable I don't in the first place. I don't understand why that's not a Why a couldn't good... she kill Ilian in the first place is, is not, wasn't explained very well. And, but besides, yeah, like besides that, um, one event which i i would say even if we could somehow justify she not being able to kill alien it still doesn't explain the story but the last thing we know before that is she was telling bellamy that the only reason bellamy is alive is because he's her brother um so that's where she was right before that and then she tries to execute alien and then i'm not clear on why she didn't and then she doesn't do it um and then afterwards, she still seems... Do you not think it's clear seems... why she didn't? Cause, because, I mean, I thought, yeah, like the flashback to me of Lincoln was kind of hit you over the head clear that, you know, she realised she'd become the person that she hated, um, that she was turning into Pike um, and using, you know, she, I, I sort of thought it was pretty clear why she suddenly set, thought, realised and couldn't kill him. Um and then run off. So maybe, yeah, I kind of agree with Jen that last week was more of a turning point and this was the beginning of um, the next steps, if you like. Well, last week I kind of uh, talked about how this is something that she should have already known, right? And um, like it was that memory of Lincoln being shot wasn't was never um, not in her mind. Like that's presumably what she's obsessed with and what's bothering her. That's what turned her into this. Um, so every time that she kills someone, I, I thought the idea was, um, I'm now that I understand this is how the world is, I'm just gonna, um, you know, reciprocate and, um, just kill whoever is uh, in the way, you know, if maybe she's thinking if we had killed Pike, um, before he did all of that stuff, you know, it would have been better. So she thinks sometimes it's okay to 
kill someone regardless of what people say about how whether it's justified or whatever um in order to basically eliminate the crazies from the world as she sees it um so i don't know um i understand in the moment that hitting her and, and i talked about how like when someone else uh says it back to you um mm-hmm. then you know you suddenly see your own hypocrisy but then after that she seemed back to the skyrepa mode um and the only thing that interrupted it was the rain and even after that she was still she had her guards up and so i guess you could say it's a progression i don't know i guess i just didn't really see what exactly happened that turned her around um get going from where she was right before the alien thing um to to where she ended up well i think i think that the what you're trying to do is apply logic and reasoning to an 18-year-old girl who is full of anger and hate and trying to understand her motivations and why she didn't she doesn't see certain things as right or wrong so i i can't well i mean that could be really if we see it, if we see her in in the later um you know the upcoming episodes again kind of vacillating and just not being sure then that would be fine i would be fine with that but if this turns out to be like now she's on this illuminated path um you know she got over it then then that's kind of to me that was not sufficiently justified by the story i don't think it's going to be that clear cut like the same with octavia and bellamy i think these are going to be slow journeys that probably until the end of the series, you know, there's going to be their character journeys is digging themselves out of the emotional holes that they're both in. Um, so rather than just a, she's suddenly going to be enlightened, um, I think she's going to struggle with it for some time yet. Yeah. So speaking of, speaking of Bellamy, let's move on to the Arcadia storyline because I think that, in my mind at least anyway, I think... And I didn't expect this. I was pleasantly surprised by this. But they're paralleling the Blakes a lot, in my opinion, in this episode by having Bellamy, what I think is a rock bottom, reach a rock bottom for him when he's literally stuck in the mud, tires spinning, um, and power gone out of the rover, unable to save two people who... May, may be like maybe 50 feet away or, or less than that uh, because I I didn't really expect the writers to take Bellamy's journey this way. I thought they were going to keep going on his redemption arc, which I, I've had an issue with his redemption arc um, for a while now. Whether or not you think one is justified or necessary, it just seems to be a, a bit of an overdone thing with him. So what they did was they, they switched it and they made him kind of lose faith in himself and his ability to save everyone, which is a bit of a Pollyanna outlook in the world anyway. But it seemed like he was hollowed out at the end of the episode. And, and to see Bellamy, who is a very passionate and emotion-driven character, just come back to Arcadia completely defeated and basically saying, Kane, you can't save somebody who doesn't want to be saved. I'm, I'm kind of done with your your empty words and your, your, your lecturing and whatever. I'm just done. I thought it was really well done. And I like the parallel journey that the Blakes are taking on their separate paths. I think it's really well done. And I find Bellamy's path right now very, very interesting. What do you guys think? 
Um, yeah, I agree. This I have to say, this has gone to straight to the top of my <laughs> Bellamy episodes. It's it's <laughs> going to be among my favourite of of what they did. You know what they did with Bellamy this episode was great, um, and Bob's acting was fantastic as well. Um, I would have, I was toying over how to describe it because I wouldn't just necessarily describe it as rock bottom because I think that he, I honestly think he hit that back when um, during the Octavia beatdown. Um, I think that was probably rock bottom for Bellamy, but I. So instead, I feel like this the whole theme of this episode was stripped bare, both um, bodily and mentally. So we had all the interesting visuals of the characters stripping down, but also lots of the characters were stripped down mentally as well. Um, and I think that was what they were toying with. So um, in regards to Bellamy, you know, we have this really interesting situation where he's stuck by himself um in the rover on the way to factory station which was also the um site of his kind of heroic slash foolhardy rescue of mel back in season two i thought that was a nice parallel um but this time he couldn't save them um and he couldn't do what his instincts were telling him as well he had kane in the back saying you know you can't do it um three people are gonna die instead of uh just two if you get out of that car um and this has been his whole philosophy since he was six that his only worth is in protecting people that if he's protected them no matter how he's done it then he's achieved something and that's just finally crumbled into dust around him like he's realized that he can't protect always protect people who want to be protected he can't protect people who don't want to be protected and now he's kind of left with himself um and thinking well who is he without being the protector you know what what is the purpose of his life how does he deal with the guilt and the lack of self-worth without you know without protecting people being his sole guiding principle and it's not that he'll stop doing that it's just that this finally feels like he's going to have to start figuring out for himself what he wants to live for um, and how he wants to live. Um, and, and I loved it. I thought it was a really, I think it's going to be a really big turning point, but again, in a subtle way. Um, so, yeah. So, so Danny, to, you just, you basically said that he found out that he can't always protect everybody and his worth is wrapped up in his ability to protect people. So I'm going to ask you again, how is this not rock bottom for him? Um, because, um, I think (laughs) I'll try and word this right. I think with Bellamy, he's, it would be easy to see that end line as him giving up, um, to say you can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved. Um, but I don't feel like this is Bellamy giving up because I think he's one of the few characters on this show who will never hit a point of actually fully giving up. Um, I think emotionally it's probably emotionally it's kind of rock bottom, but I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. think that he feels as awful about himself as he did after Lincoln was killed. I think he feels... Um, a lot more exposed um, and he's probably going to have to start asking himself some serious questions now or at least confronting um, them but I don't I think yeah when you say done I think he's just 
he's tired you know he seems really tired he seemed tired at the end but if there's one character on this show who I feel like who is never going to give up and never going to nope out it's Bellamy so um yeah it you know what I mean there's just a, a very yeah. subtle difference I think between rock bottom and emotional bottom <laughs> Yeah, you know. I guess I guess it really de- de- depends on your definition of of rock bottom. I th- to me, he's reached an emotional rock bottom, but that's just my reading of it. And and because I think that the paralleling of the Blake story is deliberate, and I believe mm-hmm. that that Octavia reached her rock bottom as well. And we know how this show and the writers love to do their parallels, so mm-hmm. that's how I'm reading it because I think it's a deliberate device used by the writers to move these two forward in a in a parallel track and i cannot wait to see what happens when bellamy and octavia see each other again i think it's going to be it's either going to be explosive in a way we don't expect or everyone's going to be crying their eyeballs out shaheen what was your take on the whole bellamy and kane situation in arcadia and we can touch on harper as well because she had a she had a little bit of an arc there too that was that was pretty devastating so i have a different question for you danny um and then again and then i'll get into my my take so um i i think i agree with you that that's what they were going for um to try to um to the whole point of the bellamy story was supposed to be he can't save everyone but I don't understand how this is the first time that this is hitting him. Um, I mean, he lost Octavia a long time ago. He's realized it over and over. Um, he had this experience before. Um, I mean, just to mention a few examples, the first time Mount Weather, um, the Mount Weather, uh, irradiation incident at the end of season two, uh, made him feel like, uh, he couldn't save people who trusted him and, who he promised to save. Uh, then the second time Mount Weather was exploded, um, he felt felt that way, right? So, I mean, he's failed to save um, so many people at this point. Why should two I- random people, I mean, Peter Colton, who the heck is that guy? We don't even, like, he's supposed <laughs> to be one of the hundreds, <laughs> but I think, I think um- this is the first time they're mentioning him. Wouldn't yeah, this so. made more sense if he was trying to go out after Octavia and for some reason couldn't, you know? Mm, no, I, th- I mean, I think for me, um, it's more about the fact that Bellamy has, he doesn't know how to to live any other way. Like he was, I mean, as they kind of recalled in this episode quite lovely, uh, in, in quite a lovely way is, you know, since he was a child, his only way or mode of existence has been protecting people protecting octavia and then protecting other people it's it's like a knee-jerk reaction for him and you saw how he was with the rover when he was like i'm doing this you know shut up okay no more lectures i'm doing this i'm going out after them um and he and it has been falling apart on him yeah, of course. And it has been. I mean, he, uh, you know, he had the big turning point back in season three, Terms and Conditions, when he realised that Pike wasn't protecting people. He was, you know, just sentenced Kane to death. Um, he's had several moments where this is all crumbling um, for him. And I think um, the beginning, I have to say, the beginning of this season, I don't think um, 
their work with Bellamy was the best I've ever done because they had a lot of other characters sort of talking at him um, and saying what they thought of him and Bellamy giving the occasional speech. Um, But I think Kane's uh, speech to him at the beginning of... um, 401 when he said you know you turn the page you try and to do something different uh, or you try and do better every day and he's been trying to kind of convert that protecting people into we save who we can save today he's been trying to um, amend his philosophy if you like um, but he's finally come to a point where even that's not really working so that philosophy is dropping away as well so I think you know he's been trying to hang on to it because it's the only way he knows how to live. Um, and finally, he's. it feels like he's got to a point of realising he can no longer keep living like this and maintain his own emotional well-being. Um, not that he is that emotionally well, but, you know, he, he just can't keep doing this because it's not working no matter how hard he tries or in what direction he goes. Protecting people's just, it's not a way it's not a philosophy for life um so yeah it feels like he'll be moving in a different direction now after this and and kind of thinking a little bit more about himself and what he wants to live for um so that's how i view it anyway that's how i viewed it yeah again i guess uh, i just find the the anchor the turning point to be less convincing than i guess you guys do um i i feel like this one an important a more important thing that happened to Bellamy this episode was him letting go of Octavia um in a way right, right I mean he hinted at it and that's what they left with right they they ended it with um him saying you can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved which is a quote that uh this quote from Kane which he used about Octavia so um I think we were supposed to think that this journey that he had with the rover and getting stuck in the mud and all of that uh, somehow also changed the way he thought about Octavia. Um, again, I don't know if this was some something about the way they wrote the story. Maybe they m- meant, meant this to be Bellamy going after Octavia um, and then they changed it. Uh, it felt kind of odd that Bellamy was on this mission to save these two people. And then somehow once he failed and he was devastated, he started talking about Octavia and then he had this change of heart. Um, I don't know. So uh, again, I'm not saying I hated it. And I think, you know, not every storyline has to be a major um, turning point, but it seems like they're trying to sell it for more than it is. Um, I, I found that um, both for Bellamy and, and Kane, um, this back and forth and this journey didn't really move their characters forward in any substantial way. I feel like they continue to be the people that they were. Um, Kane continues to be the person he's been since the calling. Um, I mean, he rationalizes his decisions as as the most moderate or realistic or the most peaceful one. Um but of course, everyone does that. That's that's a form of extremism itself that we're all guilty of. Um, it seems like in reality, Kane is sort of a very hesitant to initiate aggression. So his decisions are maybe better characterized as he would rather let people die than to kill. Um, so it's it's hard to hate him because he refrains from, like I said, 
um, being the one who initiates the aggression. But it's not clear whether his methods actually save the most lives in the long run. Uh, and in any case, I feel like that's who he has been since the culling. Um, he hasn't changed much as far as I can see. Um, and this trip doesn't change him much either um, because he's telling Bellamy the whole time to hold back and uh, not not to risk. So again, he's willing it's it's okay with Kane if some people die and you can't save them, but he is more worried about going out of your way to saving to save people and that way hurting a lot a lot of people which is what happened to him the calling i take it um so and that's precisely what he's telling bellamy to do if anything the only out of character thing that kane did in this episode was telling abby to go ahead and kill someone <laughs> um to to save the many i mean he kind of hinted at it that you know yeah i guess if you have to do it you know um so that was kind of, to me, uh, interesting to come out of Kane. Maybe it's because he's detached from it and it's not in front of him. Um, but again, somehow the the Peter Colton storylines was supposed to um, move that forward. Uh, and then mm, when it comes I to Bellamy, Kane's... sorry, let me just say what I think about <laughs> Bellamy, yeah. the way this also, I think, happens to Bellamy in this episode. Uh, and then you can tear it apart. So, um, <laughs> Bellamy, I think, also continues to be the person he was since the landing. Um, I mean, I, I have even said in season three that I feel like he's still the same person um, after all the stuff that happened with Pike and all of that. Um, so, he's passionate, he's possessive, and he's ready to make rash decisions to protect the ones who he, quote-unquote, possesses. Um, his loved ones, his family, whatever you want to call it. Um, and his character evolution has mostly been um, sort of a broadening of this um, this fear of these people, who he considers to be his family or who he considers um, as someone he has to protect, someone he possesses. Um, so it started with Octavia as the only member of that group. So Octavia was the only person he was worried about and he was willing to make rash decisions or, or decisions that put other people in danger in order to protect Octavia. Then that expanded to the hundred. Um, so he was willing to do anything to save the hundred, even at the expense of the rest of Arcadia and, you know, um, the adults or whatever. And then uh, it expanded again to Arcadia. Um, so he was now protecting Arcadia. And then Arcadia plus Lincoln, or maybe it was always Arcadia plus Lincoln. Um, and season three, I guess, was him finally expanding that to include everyone, you know, including all the grounders. Um, not just exceptions like Lincoln. Uh, so the last thing we know of him is that he's at least trying to include everyone, including the grounders, in his family, and the people who he's willing to protect, and he makes... Um, risky decisions to do so so this trip is along the same lines uh and again you could argue that this one failed so this is supposed to be um you know him realizing that he can't save everyone but again i don't think this is the first time he's failed um when he's tried to save people and ended up actually hurting people um uh, was i mean the 
the biggest example of it again was Mount Weather exploding and then Lincoln. Um, so I'm not sure how that would be a new development. So it seems like, again, this leaves Bellamy's character more or less where, where he was before. The more important thing was him letting go of Octavia, which was hinted at at the beginning of the episode um, when he was just trying, he was just going to go back in the rain to find Octavia and then Kane talked him out of it. And then at the end of the, the episode when he had failed and then he was again thinking about how he couldn't save Octavia and finally he came to the realization that um, you can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved. But that had nothing to do with Peter Colton. So again, that story I feel like leaves their characters where they were. Other things happened on the side of that that were also, that were, I think, to me, more important. I mean, I think, okay, I don't disagree with you in the sense that this, for Bellamy, his story has largely been about a widening circle of protection. But there is the one there's like the one person missing off that list is Bellamy himself and that is what i saw this episode as being about or starting um a journey in which bellamy learns that he himself counts uh-huh. um <laughs> and uh, you know he's because he's never Coulter. put himself on that list yeah he's right <laughs> at the, well yeah but he's right at the bottom of that list um or or not even on it as far as he's concerned you know, if he dies protecting people, um, it doesn't matter as long as he's protected them. He's thrown his life <laughs> sort of into uh, into the grinder so often on this show, um, you know, thrown himself in danger. And I think with, they're finally signalling that they're coming to um, a story where Bellamy learns that he himself is also worth saving and protecting, uh, not just everybody else. Um, but also, interesting, I actually, that line at the end, uh, you can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved, I didn't take that as about Octavia when Bellamy said it. I took that as um, he was saying that to Kane about himself. Yeah, I read um, it the same as way. It, yeah. Well, yeah, Kane say... said that at the beginning about Octavia, and then they were talking about Octavia when Bellamy was sitting in the rover crying. And then when he got back to Arcadia... Uh, again, Kane was saying, uh, don't worry about it, you know, uh, you did your best and whatever. Uh, and then he said, and Bellamy said that again. So I took it, it was always about Octavia. No, the, the first the first times it was about Octavia and, and going after those two people, that was largely a proxy for Octavia. Uh, Bellamy had nothing else he could do. He f- was feeling helpless, so he did the next be- best thing besides going after Octavia, was going after two people that he thought he could save. And obviously we know that didn't turn out very well for him. And the whole conversation that took place between Kane and Bellamy over the radio was Kane telling him, telling Bellamy that you cannot save Octavia if she doesn't want to be saved. And then the tenor of their, their conversation starkly changed when Bellamy said, reminded Kane that he floated his mother. And then when he got back to Arcadia, I took that the the repeating of that line from Bellamy back to Kane was that he Bellamy was referring to himself. That that an evolution had had taken place in their in their conversation that that changed 
the way their relationship is going to be formed moving forward. So that's that's how I took it. Can we talk about um, Harper really quick and her character yeah. development? So do, do you guys think that this is a a stepping stone for her? Like, are we going to see something important with her moving forward? Because otherwise it's just a throwaway to me if we don't see some something happen with Harper in the future. Well, I think one thing that um, kind of neatly unifies all of these or a lot of these stories that happen in this episode, um, Kane's story, Bellamy, Abby, and Harper is that Kane's final quote where he said, who you want to be doesn't always win. And he said that to Harper, right? Um, and that's something, if you think about it, that's exactly true of all of them in this episode. Um, Abby didn't get to be who he, who she wants to be. Um, Bellamy didn't get to be who she wants to be. Octavia didn't, I mean, Octavia in a way, uh, Octavia and Amori might be the only two people who went in the other direction and they got to be who they wanted to be. Um, but Kane himself also didn't get to be, uh, who he wanted to be. So I think that sort of made this nice overarching theme that I liked. That's how I saw Harper's story. Because uh, she, as well the idea it's... was that it was most appropriate for Harper because it was literally like um, she w- wants to be a person who who would save that guy, but um, in the moment her survival instinct was to shove him away because you're running for your life and someone is holding you from behind, you shove him away, and so who you want to be doesn't get to win in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's how I saw it. Yeah, I do. I mean, I do hope you're right, Jen, that it's not just Harper sort of standing in for the everyman this week, but also that it's an indicator that they'll, you know, they've been feeding in little bits of backstory and little hints that there's, um, you know, that they're building her character throughout the season. Um, and I hope that that's a sign of things to come, that they will build up the role and it's not just using the character here and there so I really liked it it was nice because yeah Harper's a guard as well so when push came to shove um you know she she would feel that that she failed in her role as a guard um and it was nice but but also it's the kind of thing that anybody could do very easily um in that situation and I, I just also wanted to say that the um the whole scene with the acid rain i i really love the music with that scene i know some people have had issues with the sound um editing <laughs> and sound mixing but, but there was a kind of real jaws theme going on in the music and i really loved it so. yeah i mean this is really the first time we've seen a very present danger in the show in regards to this radiation. I guess now we have this death wave that's 10, 10 days away to look forward to. Yeah, 10 days. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're really shortening the timeline of survivability on this show. It, it's uh, it's great. So I, I like that scene too. I think it's interesting that as soon as the rain hit, everybody started to panic. And really the only two people that kept their wits about them and that, and that were doing their jobs as guards and protector were Bellamy and Kane. In that moment, Harper became the everyman, and she was panicking and trying to to run into the into the ark as well for shelter. So I think it it, it was a. I hope that they do something interesting with Harper moving forward. I don't want her to be the stand-in for 
every you know every other person on the show i i don't know though what significance that she could have in the future she could maybe die i mean who knows with this <laughs> show um so I, I i really did like that scene and i'm i'm glad that we got we got kane being a dad to to somebody other than i, I like how kane like <laughs> as soon as one of his children brushes him off he 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 turns his attention to another child he can be the surrogate dad of please let me father you it's like i know i probably put you in detention back up in the ark but if you could just stand here and let me pour my wisdom into you that would be great i need to dad on somebody right now um speaking of back up on the ark I like my one of my issues with this. Well, one of my issues with the Arcadians this episode in general is that these this is a people who they've how much have they survived thus far? And they've not panicked largely. Like they they flew down from space or they fell down from <laughs> space in tin boxes. They've survived grounders camped out outside. They so all these things and then and they've been drilling for the black rain. And then, and then it comes, and they all just fall apart. <laughs> it's like, shouldn't you be better than this, Arcadians? Like, you think they would be better that than that, wouldn't you? By now, but they yeah. were useless. <laughs> I think. I think drilling. So, I think preparing for having your skin burn off is a lot different than having your actual skin burn off. Uh, so true. yeah, uh, pain. Pain can can go a long way into changing the way a person is going to react to a situation. <laughs> so you guys ready to move along from the Arcadian storyline into um, the Island of Dr. Moreau? All right. We're wrapping this up quick today. Yes, we are. I am pushing this forward because I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of, the, one of the big, huge red flags here, guys, I think it's, it's obvious that they're setting Abby up for the main character death this season. I know we all are mm-hmm. scared of Raven because of that that stroke thing that is what is it ischemia or whatever Clark called it in, in her brain, but interestingly enough, they did say that she could recover from that in this episode through rest. But Abby is pushing herself um a lot to try to find a solution here. So I think um I think we're going to lose Paige Turka this season, guys. Yeah, I'm feeling it too. I think um, they're foreshadowing something happening to Abby. <laughs> I don't know if she's gonna die, but or, yeah. And I said they they do need to have some kind of major death event to keep up with their reputation. So yeah, but Clark's mum. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm still in denial. I don't. I don't know. I, I can see where what everybody's saying, but also, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, hmm. I'm not saying I, I like it, Danny. I don't like it at all. Because <laughs> um, I, we have very few familial bonds on the show. Uh, we've got brother and sister, and we've got um, we've got Abby and Clark, and then of course Kane trying to be everybody's dad. But that's not really blood relation. So I'm not I'm I don't look forward to this but they've set it up where there's some there the brains of of Abby and Raven are going to be severely effective affected by pushing themselves too far 
And it's either going to be Raven or it's going to be Abby. And I don't think that they would kill off Raven um, unless Lindsay Morgan asked out of the show to pursue other opportunities to be typecast as either a, um, a as either a Latina gang member or a um, or <laughs> or a maid because that's what happens with with people of color in Hollywood is they're typecast into racist roles. So sorry, Lindsay, you're stuck being a strong ass mofo on this show unless they kill you off. So it just seems like Abby's going to die. And, I, you know, dude, oh, I don't like it. <laughs> don't like it at all. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I mean, if that's what everyone is thinking, maybe that's not what's going to happen because this show usually subverts our expectations. So Yeah, so they're going to kill off Kane. God damn it. <laughs> it's better. I, if, if we're talking about the adults, I'm kind of worried about Jaha. Of course I feel like you are. Jesus. <laughs> no, but I feel like he's getting to the point of maybe fulfilling his role, perhaps. I mean, maybe not. I, the only way I can see... I think I think we're probably all going to start losing the adults fairly soon because this is ultimately a story about the youth inheriting the earth. I mean, Abby said that at the start, didn't she? So it, it's a story about how um, a coming of age story about how all these teenagers eventually take over from the older generation. So we are going to lose the adults by the wayside. It may not always be death, but they're become going to become less important to the uh, political scene. Um, but yeah, that's goddamn. I depressing. feel like. Yes, someone. I mean, someone in season five is going to be like a a mentor still of some sort, and it's either going to be Jaha in the absence of Kane and Abby, or maybe Kane and Jaha. I don't know. Maybe we could lose an adult. I don't like thinking about it, but I, yeah, it seems like maybe Abby, but mm, they've only just Cabby's only just happened, and I'd feel bad for the Cabby fans. <laughs> Yeah, well, we which doesn't mean they won't do it, of course. <laughs> well, we can't have we can't have a happy couple on this show, obviously. Mm. Apart from Slark, Slark happened. Yes, Soap and Clark happened. So my can my mm. ship is now canonized. Uh, it's got a Danny as a as a bell as a belarker. You've got to feel pretty. Um, mad about that? That my ship came. We should be so lucky. <laughs> We should start a ship war. <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to start a ship war. My ship is cannon, bitches. <laughs> um, so let's talk, uh, let's talk, I guess, a little bit. I don't know if we have to talk much about the the decision that Abby and Clark have to make about who to put into the radioactive tube since that decision was taken off the, the table by them. By Amori. Um, thank you, Amori, I guess. Um, I wrote this in my review, but I thought it would have been an interesting, more interesting moral quandary to have them have to decide who goes in the tube or to have somebody volunteer to go in the tube. But fake Bayless fell into their lap, thanks to Amori. So, I mean, what do you guys think about kind of them taking what, what I think would have been a, a pretty interesting... Uh, tack for the show to take to have to you know who goes in the tube does it have to be someone on the island <laughs> well it, considering that they have zero time left to come up with a solution then then i'm guessing yes they would have to they would have to get somebody within a day 
So it, it's narrowed down to whomever is on the island, which I'm, I'm looking at Amori and I'm, lo- I'm sideway glancing at that red shirt's uh, Arcadian guard that somehow has survived up until now. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Jackson? No. I mean, Shut I guess they could have drawn straws. You know, I, th- I, th- I would have thought that um, if it had been allowed to play out, mm-hmm. what would have been nice to see instead of them going essentially down the same kind of moral track as um, the Mountain Men did was to say, well, let's have a volunteer or draw straws. You know, it's got to be one of us. It's got to be quick. So someone volunteer or we'll draw straws because it's just... The, the, I mean, it's just going to be either potentially die now, saving us all, or die later with everybody else. It's, yeah. you know, I, I would think that, I mean, the grounder might have volunteered if they'd explained it to him. He's just trying to protect his kids as well. So um, I thought it was an interesting, um, they had an interesting opportunity, even with what Amori did, to um, not repeat what the mountain men did. Um they did end up rationalizing it in a similar way to the to what the mountain men did by dehumanizing the grounder and saying, you know, it's not easy, but you know he's kind of a bad guy, so it's sort of okay. Because and 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 uh, I don't know because I've had debates about this, and I tend to fall on this on the side of um, probably the wishy washy folk, I guess, who thinks that there there should be some lines that they at least. Um, say well let's try not to cross them is there another way could we have a volunteer or draw straws um rather than just jumping to well we need to survive the stakes are too the stakes are too good let's just kill him (laughs) you're looking at the uh, wrong show do the stakes make a difference (laughs) yeah i guess they're asking us to ask these questions do the stakes make a difference this time compared to when the mountain men did it because they rationalized it in the same way as the mountain men ultimately and i'm really interested to see what happens and what they think about that when they find out what Amori did, which they probably will, um, you know, is Clark going to realise that um, they really did jump to that rationalisation quite quickly? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting one. So I don't know. Do the stakes matter? Do they make a difference? Um, I would be... They do, <laughs> but I would be more inclined to say, you know, I, I think it would have been better for them if they'd have tried to... Um, yeah, n- not force it on somebody um, and try to make it, uh, e- you know, equitive in some way. I don't mm-hmm. know. What do you think, guys? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, well, actually, that kind of ruins this whole storyline for me. So um, maybe I'll hold <laughs> off <laughs> before getting to that. Um, yeah, the, the kind of, we didn't really get to see Abby, I mean, Clark is, this is upper alley. I mean, she's done this many times before. She's done it with <laughs> 300 and the, on the one hand and 25 on the other. Um, so, you know, one versus 2000 is not an issue. But um, Abby was obviously, has, has never had to do this. Um, so this is the first time, I mean, she's been a doctor. She's... Um, vowed to never harm anyone um and so this is this should be a big thing for her and it looks like it is uh and i think uh page turco did did everything she could she could with this um material but it was also very quick and we didn't get to see much 
Um, you know, we don't get to see her struggle with it or have to pick someone. Um, yeah, it was mostly um, Amori's big day. Uh, she should get like a grounder Oscar for the best, most evil actress <laughs> ever. It was a great reveal. I was totally taken in. She I was faking the whole thing yeah. the whole fucking time. I know. I was. I just was I had crazy. no idea. She's good. It's one of the best reveals the show's done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the moment that that guy jumped on her, and she was like, just uh, you know. Kicking her, kicking him in the nuts or whatever. (laughs) She was faking the whole thing. Yeah, we should have known. And she set the alarm as well. Um, Did you know, when she walked in, she set the alarm and then the alarm didn't go off. I mean, there were so many clues as well. Um, And yet, yeah, I was totally taken in and kind of gasped when it happened but sorry what um, alarm i think i, I totally missed that the alarm yeah when when she went in with into the mansion with clark and maurice set the alarm <laughs> and uh yeah then when the uh when the window was broken no alarm went off so um yeah that was yeah. that was odd but you have to have a you have to have a glass break sensor on every single window in order for the um in order for the alarm to to sound so and, does that mean, mean mm. that she knew the sky was coming no, I don't. I mean, he did try to stab her, so he's not all that good. But yeah, I don't. I don't really know if it was connected in any sort of way. I mean, it does seem weird that they would deliberately show her putting in the alarm code, but mm. but 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 wait, 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 wait. She she put the alarm code in. That's to de- that's to turn the alarm off. You don't put the alarm code in to turn it on. It's usually you turn the alarm on by by hitting on, and you have to put the code in to turn it off. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, so she turned it off so that this guy can get in, right? Hmm. Um. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I wonder if we find out next week. If yeah, some I, sort yeah. Of, yeah. That yeah that that's strange. But what do you guys think of the mansion? Like, just the visual dichotomy <laughs> of what we've seen on the show. I think Jasper needs to lead. He needs to lead like a team team of his uh, stoic slash hedonist followers into this into <laughs> Murphy's mansion, and they just you know party for two months. Like, that I don't seems under- like the best <sighs> ending to this season. Who is doing the laundry in this place to keep it immaculate? Who is like doing the dusting to keep it immaculate? I mean, even who's if it's the, sealed who's the tight. Pool guy? Yeah, who's the pool guy? There was not <laughs> that, one like, like an, out, there yeah, an outdoor pool 97 years after the apocalypse should not look pristine. It's all <laughs> nanotechnology self-cleaning shit, man. No, I mean, there should be a, <laughs> at least a leaf floating in it. They're surrounded by woods. I just don't understand. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was so nice... And Clark got all of one second of um, rest on that immaculately made bed before fake Bayless broke in. So I was like, God, girl can't catch a break. <laughs> well, she had a shower. She took a shower. So Yeah, no, I'm aware of that. That's my that's my ship. That was her break. My she ship took a shower. Yeah, after but, like six months. Like, where are they getting food to make if, to make from a recipe book? What's up with all the cans? Not no one scavenged those cans in the, like in I, the past one hundred years. No, they I couldn't. Guess the they couldn't get there because of the drones. They couldn't get close. Yeah, yeah. But now that they've shut the drones drones off. Anybody can obviously yeah, get in, in there. Yeah, in the past. Yeah. 
So we're agreed that the we're agreed though that Amora's backstory is in fact real. There is a Bayless out there, but this is not the guy. Um, yeah. Are we agreed on that? I don't know. Yes, I mean, because I Murphy was aware of the backstory as well. He knew from what Amori had told him who this Bayless dude was and what he did to her. Um, and that's what made him so yeah, invested. Yeah, that wasn't very clear to me if he just bought it on the spot or he knew it from before. No, I think she shared some some of her story and her brother's story with Murphy um, at some point in time, which I don't know. But your only evidence for that is what happened this episode, right? Yes. Um, and in this episode, it was ambiguous whether, because first time we saw Murphy, uh, Murphy reference, this was after we heard it. So I don't know if he heard it when we heard it or no. he, he knew no, about I it think- before. No, I think I know I you think say no, but you have no. You you saw the same thing as I saw. I'm yeah, just pointing well, we out always, we that, that it happens take. right after we all hear it. So did he just believe it and now he's repeating it, or what was the evidence that he knew it before? Because he wasn't in the same room as Amori and Clark, so he couldn't hear the story at the same time we did. He was he was tying up and guarding Bayless or fake Bayless. Yeah, but I'm saying it happened after. So if if Amori cooked it up on the spot, or she thought about it in the in you know the past five minutes or whatever, uh, then she told it to Clark and everyone else, and then she tells the same story to Murphy, and Murphy obviously believes her. Because this is not this isn't something that we have heard about before. No, but the, often a lot of things happen off screen that we just take yeah, for granted. Yeah, but there was no evidence for that, so that's what I'm saying. If Murphy had referenced this Bayless guy at the beginning of the episode before Emory eavesdropped on Abby or before Emory decided to make a plan, then uh, that would have been different. But there were other things she was telling Clark that were true that we do have evidence for, like her being cast out because of her hand. So it feels like there were grains of truth in her story and I can't see why she would make up a guy um (laughs) you know I could uh, you know what I mean I feel like if she's going to tell a story she's going to try and keep it as truthful as possible um at least that's how I took it anyway um because there were grains of truth in the rest of her story um we already know that she was cast out yeah I mean the only part of it was that she was cast out which we know happens to all mutated grounders but yeah, I mean, I think they were trying to show it as as if I think the implication was that, I mean, the, the major implication for me was when at the end of it, Murphy said, um, so that's not him, as opposed to, oh, so you made that whole thing up. Um, I think I that think indicates Murphy that was... maybe, yeah, he either he knows about it or he still believes that part of it. Yeah. Do you think guys? Uh, do you guys think Murphy was really okay with it? Um, because I felt like his initial reaction was kind of one of shock, like <laughs> and concern, and then all of a sudden, you know, obviously he smiled and was like, "Yes, that's that's a survivor's move." But I don't know. I kind of got the sense that maybe there's some beginnings of tension between the two of them that they might explore in the future. That perhaps deep down, Murphy won't in the end be okay with this move? I don't know. What did you guys think? 
I think Murphy is at least never going to lecture anyone about morality. Um, he's already decided that he's a piece of shit. So <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't know if he's going to be uh, how he's going to feel about it, but I don't think he's going to be like, yeah, now you're an evil person. Um, <laughs> so I'm not dating you anymore. <laughs> no, I I do think that he might take an issue with it if you know further down the road if her tendency to be a survivor in this respect puts him in any sort of danger that if she puts him herself over his welfare it might severely impact the relationship um it, sometimes well, of it's, course it's yeah. hard it's hard to read murphy and and it, it's not always because the story gives him the correct motivation. Uh, we know that the writers have made mistakes with his reactions to things in the past. So I don't know. I mean, I think that maybe he, I think this is going to sit in the back of his head as a moment of, Hmm, what else could she be capable of doing if she was capable of, of putting a complete stranger's life at risk for on the off chance that her life was going to be at risk. I mean, she obviously, I, I think it's important to, to recognize that she's obviously colored a great deal. Her reactions to thing, things are colored a great deal by her background being a mutant mm -hmm. in that she is, she views herself as the, the fur, very expendable in everybody else's eyes because that's the way the grounders treated her. And she doesn't have any experience with, with any of the sky crew aside from Murphy that would, Necess necessarily indicate to her that they would value her life as an equal to their own. Mm -hmm. So she has. Yeah, and I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I was just about. Sorry, I was just going to finish that. She has a very knee jerk reaction, but it's very understandable given her background and how others in her in her world have viewed her in the past. Yeah, and I wonder if there's going to come a point where he might. Sounds weird, but have to choose between Sky Crew and Imori, which sounds on the face of it. I think, well, yeah. of course he's going to choose Imori, but at the same time, this episode when she wanted to just go, he did go to Clark and say we need to talk. So I feel like Murphy's kind of changing a little bit in his relationship with his people, um, and I wonder if that's going to cause some friction at some point, um, particularly. Um, with you know, ten days until the end of yeah. the world, you know, you know, it's um, things are going to start getting crazy. Uh, well, I think Murphy's very smart in that he understands that the way out of this situation is science, and not heading towards uh, the the bunker that those guys know about the the um, the bunker from season one. That there's no way to ride this out uh, without mm -hmm. Sky Crew's intervention in some sort of way. So Amori's first instinct is to run. And again, I think it's colored by her, her past experience. But Murphy is smart in that he knows that his people provide the best way to move forward. Now, I think there's going to be some tension coming up between at least Murphy and Clark for something that happens, because I think we see a little bit of tension in the season four preview between the two and I don't oh, yeah. and this could be this could stem from some sort of decision that either Clark makes that affects Amori and and Murphy or 
or some sort of decision that Amori makes that prevents Murphy from saving her at some point or, or puts them both at risk. So I don't, I don't know what that, what that's going to be at this point. I think I, I don't know what like the next episode is going to bring. Cause I feel like we're still very much in limbo as far as what's going to occur in that lab. And mm-hmm. I'm still, I'm still like trying to, I'm still like waiting for a lot of other things that I think are going to happen to happen. And, and in order to do so, they have to move away from where they are now. I think like if we're going to see hypersleep mm-hmm. chambers, I don't think that we're going to see them on the Island. Um, mm. I think maybe John, yeah, we don't know what's going on with the second way. dawn, do we? Mm. No, we're going to see them again. We have to see them again. I mean, you just don't drop weird ass cult that Jaha salivates over into the middle of the story's <laughs> lap and not revisit it. So I think we're going to mm-hmm. see that again. Um, there are a lot of people who are saying that maybe second dawn are the original flame keepers. And I'm like, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, maybe it does. I have no clue. Yeah, that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean... But that means they would be in Polis, which is fine, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, like, is there is there, like, something under Polis that we don't know about yet? Uh, Isn't there in the preview images? Aren't they in Titus's sex dungeon at some point next episode? Yeah, I Is think that me making I, that. Up? I think yeah. they are back there, and I think there might be there might be chambers underneath Polis that we just don't know about. Because remember, guys, the the people that that greeted Becca when she came back down to Earth. Those people were in Polis, and those people were preppers, according to Jason Rothenberg. Yeah. And they would have to come out of somewhere in Polis to say hi to Becca. So we might be looking at a huge um, bunker, maybe a second dawn bunker under Polis. So I don't think we, we need to move far, but I guess I guess I just don't... I guess I'm just viewing the, the Becca's lab as like a dead end right now. I, I, I just don't... I think it might be the last dead end before we get to the the true viable solution. I think it, and I I think I might be, um, yeah. yeah. I don't know what Apart you guys think. The rocket. Yeah, no, the rocket. <laughs> the, the rocket's the, out. Yeah. The rocket's out, guys. It's, the CW didn't have the CGI to ro- to uh, launch that thing into space. <laughs> <laughs> it can't just be there for nothing, though. There's, there's they've got a. You think that's Chuckov's rocket? You think they're gonna? Well, they can't come back down. That's the thing is they don't have enough. They don't have enough uh, hydrazine to come back down. So you think like one person's going to go up in space? Well, it, that's also kind of hand wavy because like the simulation that Raven ran the last time, uh, it said fifteen percent damage to the exterior. Uh, and zero percent damage to cargo, zero percent damage to life. It seems like it, with a little bit of um, fuel sacrifice, with a little bit less fuel, you can maybe like drop down into the ocean and take a little bit of damage, maybe um, 30% to cargo, 30% to people or whatever damage, and you could still survive. Uh... Um, so... I don't know. One barrel of hydrogen doesn't. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not a rocket scientist, so I don't know. But it just seems like <laughs> I mean, it just seems like they cut off that specifically. 
I don't know if they, I mean, I guess you have a good point, Danny. Like, what are they, why did they introduce the rocket if they're not going to blow so, they're not going <laughs> to propel somebody up into space? Um, maybe mm. it'll just be Murphy floating, floating up in space. Um, the, the, the lone survivor all up there by I mean, himself. There's still, there's still half an arc up there, isn't there? Well, okay, so, so there's, there's still half an arc up there, but it has, presumably it has no oxygen on it. And there's also that lost minor colony floating out there somewhere in space. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would presume, though, that that minor colony is still shooting its way away from Earth towards wherever it was supposed to go. So I don't think, I, I don't know if we're ever going to see them again, but... Um, because like, mm-hmm. if they're in a hypersleep, they're not going to wake up and be like, oh, well, let's go back to earth now. Like, I'm not presuming that these people really are awake. Yeah. Um, it's been a lot of little, I, yeah, I can't, one thing I do love about this season, I think we said that last week that I just, I really don't know where it's going to go. Um, you know, even despite the spoilers being out there, um, uh, I, I no, have I haven't no looked. I haven't looked at the spoilers for the, the for yeah. the finale. I, I refuse to do so. <laughs> um, I think the other thing though that's helped Danny is that if you recall, um, the season three preview went fairly deep mm. into season three and gave away a lot of season three. Um, to yeah. the point where we figured out who Antari was and what she had done. We kind of knew that Lexa was going to die at some point. We knew, you know, Raven was in some sort of distress. And that's all the way into, um, I think, three, the 13th episode, Nevermore, was. So, you know, th- they went deep in- into the season with that preview. And this preview was fairly ambiguous. And I think we've, except for some... Except for some Murphy and, and Clark scenes I, and, like, Octavia Warpaint, I don't think we have much left that we we have actually seen in that preview. So I'm excited. I'm with you, Danny. I have no clue where they're going. Um, and, it, you know, if if they do fire that racket up into space and Murphy is the only person on it, I, I want to go down on record as being the one that called it. Uh, <laughs> Floating cockroach. <laughs> um, so do you guys have anything else to cover uh, in regards to the island storyline? Yeah, well, maybe this is a good time for me to cover my... Well, actually... Um, yeah, what ruins this storyline for you? The end of the, the episode, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a much easier way to test this theory, right? You just inject the bone marrow, wait a few hours or days or whatever, and then test the blood. The same way it happened with the mountain men. Um, you don't need to kill anyone. You just take their blood, and if it's night blood, then it's night blood. I mean, night blood isn't that hard to detect. So that whole thing is just like, yeah, this is, again, the example of lazy sci-fi to me, where it's just like <laughs> solutions come out of nowhere. Like problems come out of nowhere, and then solutions also are pulled out of asses. Uh, th- that kind of just, yeah. I don't mind the like unscientific sci-fi that doesn't, you know, that's not how bone marrow works. I know all of that. That's not how radiation, that's not my problem. My problem is even within the story itself, it doesn't really make sense. Just inject the bone marrow and wait a few days and then you get the blood. So Yeah, but how, but how do you know that whatever is the end product actually p- protects against 
radioactivity. Like, what if Abby well, does... put it under a microscope. If it's night blood, it's night blood. It does whatever night blood does. It's like Spider-Man <laughs> does whatever a spider can. I mean, I mean, you could actually just... Yeah, you could at least turn someone into a night blood first and then test them on radiation. Like, give them yeah. a fighting chance instead of blasting them with radiation. I mean, I mean, was, was they injecting? Were they injecting the guy with radiation first before they turned him into a night blood? Or um, I wasn't quite clear on. No, that. they injected him with the night blood goop, and then they're going to put him in the tube and then blast him with radiation. Um, um. And and I think um, he has an adverse reaction. Um, as anyone would. I still don't buy this nightblood solution because if you're a nightblood and you get caught in the radiation death wave, <laughs> you're still going to be like burnt to a crisp, right? Like there's a point where the nightblood <laughs> does not save you. Well, yeah. I mean, that that woman at the start, at the end of the first episode, was it? Yeah. Was yeah. She, yeah, she crum- crumpled like. Yeah, yeah her yeah, shit it wasn't was blown just- away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just like oh, I ate some radioactive fish and I feel ill. It was she, you know, she just crumbled like a vampire or something. I don't recommend the tilapia. <laughs> yeah, like how is Nightblood gonna defend against that? Yeah, I I don't I don't know. They still have to find somewhere to hunker down. That's the thing. They they have to find some place to put uh, uh some sort of found some sort of wall or foundation or barrier around themselves between them and the main part of the radiation. I think yeah, like it just doesn't have to be sealed. I think that's the idea. Oh yeah. You can like let some radiation leak in and they won't all, they won't all yeah. die. Yeah. So I guess so Arcadia's or they get intact, sick like so Luna and then the they'll recover. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I still don't understand what happens to the plants and the animals that are, are dying. Like, what are you going to eat now? What are you going to drink? Like, uh, where yeah, and the water. the death wave and then... Well, there's that pool. I mean, that would be survive. I'll go to the mansion for water, guys. Take another <laughs> swim. That pool will be pristine. Oh, man. Yeah. So, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that that is a good point. But again... I. I don't know. Uh, maybe accelerated time frame. I don't know. I'm sick. Just the hundred science. And, I guess we have to. Yeah, the hundred science is like magic. <laughs> just magic. Just wave your hands <laughs> in the air, waving like you just don't care. All right. Um, so next week, um, next week we'll be covering the uh, the next episode which is God Complex, I think it's called. Um, And then afterwards, there's like a three-week hiatus um, so that the the 100 comes back in the middle of May sweeps. I don't know why. We know the ratings aren't that great, but they're, I guess, good for CW standards. I don't know. May sweeps, whatever. Um, I don't know if I'll be on next week's uh, podcast again, guys. Um, Next week is the Super Bowl of Wrestling. So I have WrestleMania to watch with my friends, but I'm sure we'll find somebody to uh, to sit in. Like, like, well, we might get Danny. Again, <laughs> just <in> my... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on a fun holiday, service. but I'm sure we've 
Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure yeah. there's a pool of people. That's yeah. that's right. You're going to. Sri Don't worry, Lanka? guys. Worst case scenario is just a solo podcast. It's just Shaheen. Just, just me <laughs> talking. For Which three is hours. what you always wanted. So <laughs> oh my God. I know you. You know you've been. Tr- you know holding back, repressing that desire this whole time. It's mm. gonna happen. It's real now. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, will it just be like? Two hours of the City of Light and how good Ali is. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So we we usually end the podcast with what you've been watching, so you guys know what other good stuff on TV there is to watch. And Danny, um, you're over in the UK watching weird UK television, like with weird funny accents and stuff. So what are you watching? <laughs> um. Well, uh, recently we started watching Black Mirror. Which is, I guess that's been out for a yeah, while Yeah, it's on now, Netflix but... now. Netflix, I think, owns yeah, it. We, yeah, yeah I've we heard love good it. Things about um, it. Oh, it's amazing. It's just, it's so, I don't know, it's like philosophy as TV. And it's so interesting. There's, and I, each episode is completely different. Um, yeah, they're all self-contained. And a completely different story. Yeah, I really love it. And um, also we uh, recently watched Medici, Masters of Florence, which is, uh, nothing at all to do with sci-fi, but it is quite a lot to do with politics if you're into the politics of the hundreds. So um, it's the story of Cosimo de' Medici, um, who was kind of the founding father of the Medici banking family in the Italian Renaissance. Um, it's really interesting. Um, and it's got Richard Madden in it, who was Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. So I recommend that if you do like that sort of thing. And yeah, that's what we've been watching. Cool. So. Um, have you been watching Black Mirror since the beginning, Danny? Um, no, we just started it, like, the last couple of weeks, really, but we started with the first episode. The, the, the politician uh, and the pig? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> we were giggling the whole way through, so. Um, but I really liked the second one. Um, was that the one in the weird iPhone world um, where they're cycling and there's the... Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that, because the whole way through, I was like, what is going on? And then... Oh, it's just great! It's it's such a such a good show, so I highly recommend. It. Yeah, some seasons are better than others, and some episodes are obviously better than others. But that's a great thing about the show is they're all self contained stories, so you can find you know good good bits in in each season. Um, Shaheen, are you watching anything? Um, no, not right now. <laughs> okay, well that as you as per usual, and then um, I I've have been... something once in a while, every other time. Yeah, I guess. Have you even finished Westworld? No. No, I, I, no I'm still so on episode seven. I I guess I completely lost interest the, at that time. Wow. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't hate the the series or anything. I just um, I was like, yeah, there's too many there, too many like agents just competing in this story and i was asking joe i was like so who's doing what i don't even know what the fuck is going on anymore like what's everyone's motivation who's that guy trying to do what what is that guy's trying to do or whatever and she was just shrugging to every single one of my questions so i was like so you don't know either just watch it for naked robots and <laughs> she was like yeah pretty much don't you and i was like all right wow. I, I don't i'm not watching this until i figure out what's going on and that that probably implies watching, rewatching 
all of the episodes again. Well, I must be the smartest one of all three of us because I actually watched it and could keep up with it and knew what was going on. So, and I didn't just watch it for the naked robots. uh, Well, or that's what you think. Okay. So I have been watching, there's three shows, obviously other than the hundred, three shows that have been on TV or other, other device, other, uh, avenues of of viewership that I've really been into. Big Little Lies on HBO, um, which I think a a couple people wrote off at the beginning as as rich white lady drama, Um, but it's gotten a lot deeper, um, especially around uh, themes of abusive marriages than I thought it would. And it's it's gotten, you know, it's got some great acting by Reese Witherspoon, uh, Nicole Kidman, and, oh, shoot, who who is the uh who's the uh, lead in the um divergent series? What's her name? Oh, Shailene Woodley. Yeah, yeah, Shailene Woodley. Yeah. Um great great acting from these guys. So hopefully around Emmy time we'll see some some good stuff going there. Um Legion, which is just crazy bat fuck crazy over on FX. Um I have to catch up with it because I think I don't think I've watched the last two or three episodes. I, for some reason, I thought watching um, Legion while on uh, opiates would be a bad idea <laughs> or the best idea ever. So <laughs> I just I need to catch up. <laughs> and then on CBS All Access, which I of course I'm not subscribed to, but watch via other avenues, is The Good Fight, which is the sequel to The Good Wife. Um, and it it's without um, Alicia Florick, which is uh, what's her name's character. So it's so much better. It's great. It has nakedity in it, and it's got swearing, and it's got all the good stuff from the Good Fight without Alicia Florick in it, or the Good Wife without Alicia Florick in it. So I love it. Um, so I guess it's time to wrap up, guys. Danny, as always, thank you. Mm-hmm. For filling in for Joe, who again is in Mexico smuggling drugs back. <laughs> um, and she will be back with us next week. And Shaheen, it's been a pleasure as always. So yep. thanks everybody for listening to us. And may we geek again. Take it easy, guys. Bye.